Right, here we go. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Just a reminder, too, of how, how in the in the first and second chapter, we are, we are just always mindful that God intended for us to have choices and that he intended to tell us that, that we make our choices and then it's because of our choices that we will have blessings or we'll have consequences. And how I never thought about it until the study, but I never thought about it that when God said to Adam, you cannot eat from this tree that is named the knowledge of good and evil, that he would, he would not even know what the word evil meant. And, and another word he wouldn't have known when God said very firmly, again, in a perfect world, he lowered the boom and said, but if you do eat from that tree, then you will surely die. And I wonder if he said, well, what is that? What does die mean, you know? Because those are words that they never knew before. And then, of course, we saw what happened last week and, and uh, you know, how, how quickly things can change by just, uh, you know, uh, just that act of disobedience, just by that, that, that sheer self getting in the way. And, and um, so we, we covered that pretty good, but I loved the way, I loved it. I, I loved our ending last week. Because, you know, that whole thing about the serpent and, and um, how the serpent then, what Satan was embodied in that serpent. And then the serpent, the curse was on that serpent and it turned into a creepy, crawling, hissing snake. And, and that too had consequences and the one that we loved so much isn't it is to see to watch Jesus already being uh, the gospel message of Jesus being preached already you know in that where Satan um, is very God's very clear to Satan that you know yeah you're you've bruised his heel you will bruise his heel and then how we clarified what bruising his heel really meant you know he was betrayed he was he was hated he was falsely accused he was spit at he was he was um, beaten he was nails went through his hands he hung on a cross in darkness and to know his father had, had forsaken him. And so that bruising of his heel really was, was major. And yet then God comes back. The gospel message is so good, isn't it? That, you know, Satan's already been doomed. You know, when Jesus came out of the grave, there's no doubt that God was telling, telling Satan, your head's going to be crushed. You, there's no hope for you at all. And to know that we know that in Revelation 20, that will happen. He, he will be thrown into hell. And so his days are, his days definitely are numbered. But boy, he sure is going to do um, whatever he can. Remember, we are his pawns. He, he uses us to revenge against God. And he will either try to keep us from the cross, keep us from seeing our need for a savior, keeping us from asking Jesus into our hearts so that we can be saved. He will try his best to try to keep us from the cross, but, 
But if he doesn't do that, then he will continue to work on us so that we will stay in a position of, of defeat and discouragement and despair and down and, and no hope. And, and that's just not the kind of victory and abundant life that he intended. And, and so um, he, Satan, that God intended, so Satan will try to do what he can to keep us, because no one, no one wants to come along in, with our, if our testimony is just so down, defeated, and discouraged. What kind of story is that? Because that's what a testimony is. It's your story. And so we want to, well, tonight we're going we're gonna to learn more about what are we doing with our lifespan and uh, so tonight, you know, um, we, we managed to, we don't know, the, Genesis 4 and 5, you know, it's probably thousands of years. It's two, 3,000 years, you know, we, we're going to be doing it in, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, you know, but there's a lot of time in this. And, um, you know, we, we left last week with... with um, that whole serpent thing, but then how in Numbers 21, how, how Moses in that whole thing with the Israelites, how, how um, the people were complaining and whining and, and just, again, so downcast and just so upset with Moses and complaining against God and God had had it. And so venomous snakes were biting them and they were dying. And so then they went to Moses and said, cry out to the Lord for us, and Moses did, and God said, hey, you know, raise up a serpent, a bronze serpent on a pole, and if anyone looks at it, they will be healed. And then we went to hear Jesus' words in John 3, right before Jesus said, for God so loved this world that he gave Jesus. He said, and as the serpent was raised in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be raised, and everyone who looks to him will be healed healed, will be, will be saved, and, and how that correlation, so we went from Genesis to Numbers, and then to John 3, and, and then we, we ended with how the, how the serpent tempted Eve with the words, take, take this piece of fruit that looks so desirable, you're going to be like God, why wouldn't you want that, and she just, she bought it, and she took it, and she bit into it, and she ate it. And then how in Luke 22, Jesus says the same words, take and eat. Satan, Satan took their life away. Satan took their life when he said take and eat, and they did. Then their, their eternal, their whole eternal destiny was changed. He took their life. And then when Jesus says take and eat, take my body that was broken for you, then their lives came back. I mean, he gave them their life back. Satan can take it away, but Jesus can give it back. I, I thought that was a beautiful correlation. So tonight, it says that Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Again, there are so many questions here. There's so many things that I'm sure that you were, it was going through your mind. Like, you know, when, when Cain is a restless wanderer and says, the people are going to kill me. What people are you talking about? What people, you know, because the whole earth started its population through two, Adam and Eve. 
And, and I'm going to have a quote for you later on. It, it will maybe help you to see how, how a mathematician helped me to understand if you compound it and then take the years from the fifth chapter, how it, it was amazing how God populated this earth. But, but now we don't know if Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's first children. We just don't know. But these are two brothers that we see a great lesson that, that God wants us to see. I mean, you can even imagine how many children that, that they had. But, they, but Cain and Abel are used for a, a very prominent lesson. So anyway, now it says, um, with the Lord's help, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So they're different. They're different boys, and they're different men, and that's perfectly fine. There was nothing belittling about Cain being a farmer, and there was nothing more, more superior that Abel worked the livestock. It's just that they were different. I mean, I mean, I, mean, I can tell you that you know, we only have two boys, but they couldn't be more different. Even if they walked in here, you would say, Boy, they, they, they don't really even look like each other. And they don't, they don't, um, oh, they have different interests. Uh, they, they preach differently. I mean, they have different styles. I mean, they're just different in the way they act. It's just extraordinary. And I think, how can two guys be so different and we raised them the same? But yet, I always say, if, you could, if I could bring them in here and you looked at them, you thought, well, boy, they really are different, aren't they? But if I could somehow show you and take their heart, uh, just kind of flip them inside out, they would be the same. Because their hearts are right. Their hearts are right. And, and here, in this case, you've got two brothers, perfectly acceptable that they have different gifts and abilities and interests, but their hearts are not the same. And this is what you can't help but see. So in the course of time, verse 3 kind of hints that, that, you know, in the course of time, you know, so years, who knows, but when they were men and, or whatever, maybe, maybe they have an understanding that they have to bring an offering. They have to bring an offering to God. Maybe Adam and Eve instructed them, and now they're to the age where they need to give, give back. So whatever the reason, it said in the course of time, it's that Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. See, this was his hot button. I mean, this is what he, he loved doing. I can just picture, I can just picture his display of, of his vegetables or, or it said the fruits of the soil. Don't you love to go to the farmer's market? I just love to look down the aisle and, and just see, I mean, the colors and the, especially at this time of year. I mean, the peppers and the melons and, and all, all the cucumbers and the beans. You lay that all out. It's just gorgeous. And I can picture, because he was probably so, he was probably so good at that. And so he took some of them and he made, made, made a plate and it was a 
beautiful display of what he grew. Now Abel, now Abel, it says, he brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now to me, that, that doesn't sound so beautiful to me. I mean, in, in fact, maybe he's still got blood on his hands. And, he, you know, I know the fat portions are the best, you know, and we know that Abel's heart was right, and so he was. But I'm trying to make a point here. Sometimes we judge things by the outward appearance. And it couldn't be more, more wrong in this case. You've got Cain, who's got the beautiful display and beautiful vegetables and fruits and all this kind of thing. And then you've got Abel coming with the fat portions. You know, it doesn't say that it's cooked or anything. So he brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So, I mean, that, that wasn't, you know, that's not as appetizing to me. And yet, look at what it says. The Lord looked with favor unable and is off and on his offering. Now remember, it wasn't a sacrifice. You know, I've heard many things about well, Abel's was was accepted and favored on because you know it it was um, to be sacrificed. And, but that's not. This was just an offering, and it doesn't say anything about a sacrifice. So I can say that I think Cain really did feel he was giving what he does best and Abel was giving what he, what he did best, however, the motive behind it. And that's always, that's always it because see, God can see beyond the exterior and he can see motive. And this is where we get tripped up because obviously Cain's motive was not acceptable to God, and so it said the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Well, it doesn't take much to figure out that that just ticked Cain off. And I don't know if these two brothers were competitive anyway. I don't know. I don't know if they got along that good. I have no idea. But all I know is that this made Cain mad. It said he was very angry and his face was downcast, which I think was pouting. He started to pout. And, and you know, God comes back to Cain in such a logical, I love the way God asks questions. And he asks questions expecting an answer. You know, like when, when Adam and Eve, after the, after the sin, and they're, they're hiding behind a tree, and God knows where, where they are, but says, where are you? And later, we're going to see God come to Cain and say, where's your brother? I mean, he knows, but by asking these questions, he ex is expecting, he wants you to think about it. So... Why are you angry? Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Why are you pouting like that? Why are you so upset? You did this to yourself. You forget that I can see your heart. For if you did what is right 
if you had done it right to begin with, will you not be accepted? It's not that God loves Abel more than Cain. It's just that what God commanded, what God asked for, he wants a heart that is pure and with the motive that the offering was for him and him alone. And Cain, I'm sure, as beautiful as that was, he probably wanted a bunch of credit and pats on the back and he, he did it for his glory. So I, I went to scripture and I was amazed about how many verses are, are in God's word about the importance of our heart and how much time that we need to spend making sure. And I, I was reminded of in Psalm 119, again, remember how does a young man keep his way pure or how does any one of us keep our way pure? And that means how, how can we keep our heart right? And of course, it's by getting to know God better, by understanding what he's done for us better, by getting closer to him, by hearing the Spirit's voice in our ear and listening and obeying better. That's how you keep your way pure. And I, I found, well, God said many verses, but one that really grabbed me was Proverbs 4, 23, where Solomon said that we are to guard our heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. I mean, what, what is in your heart, yeah, I mean, look from what we've learned, you can buffalo everybody, because they're looking at the exterior, that's all they see, and you got everybody fooled. But God sees the heart, but it's so important that we see that, that when Solomon wrote that, he said, you've got to guard that heart, because it determines the course of your life. It's the steering wheel. Maybe this is another picture. A steering, the steering wheel of your life. I mean, your heart steers where you, where, how you make decisions, how, the direction you're going, the priorities in your life, what's important to you. And as much as we care for our physical bodies, and of course, we should. I mean, we really should. We should be concerned about what we take in as far as what we eat and how much we, we, are, we exercise and keep ourselves mobile. I, I know that that's very important, but I also have watched people almost make a little G-God out of that where all they do, they're just, they're just consumed. It's like an addiction. They, they can't get enough. They can't have one little ounce of fat or on them, and, and they've, they've got to run humpteen miles. And, and, yeah, we have to take care of ourselves, but again, you can take it so far, and it can take over some of your, your priorities. But the one thing that we can learn is as much as we need to keep our physical bodies healthy, we need to keep our hearts healthy. And how do we keep our hearts healthy? And we've said it from Psalm 119, but 
we have to work at, we have to take the time, because how much time do we spend on our physical bodies? Do we really know that it's the heart that really steers the course of our life? So that needs time too. Here are a couple verses. I, I just wrote Matthew 6:21, where your treasure is. See, this is really personal. What is the most important thing in your life? What do you focus on? What seems to, you know, I can't live without kind of thing? Where your treasure is, that really is a good litmus test of what's in your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart. And then, I know it's so natural to want to lean on your own understanding, but Solomon says, don't. You let him direct your paths. Trust him with all your heart. Romans 12, 2, because here, the mind and the heart are really hand in hand. And you can't help it, you know, that things in this world, that's why it wasn't right that that. Eve last week added that, and we're, we were told we can't touch it. Well, that is impossible because these two trees were in the middle of the garden that they would walk by all the time. I'm sure that they couldn't help but brush by them. It, they represent the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil represents our world, and, and God knows that we live in this world, and we can't help but touch it. But yet, we can't let it become a part of us. It's, it's this, I've said this many times, but um, for some of you who've never, it's, it's such a good little illustration. Um, we can't help it that a bird flies over our head. I mean, you know, you're outside, you can't help it that a bird flies over, but you can help it whether, you can help it whether that bird makes a nest in your hair. See, you can't help it that the bird's flying, but all of a sudden, if it just wants to build a little nest in your hair, you have something to say about that. So we can't help it that, I mean, we are hearing it, we're seeing it, we're, we're, you know, television and news and everything. I mean, it's just a part, we can't help it that we're hearing and seeing, you know, the, the wickedness of the world or even, or even temptations through ads or whatever. You can't help it. It's there all the time. But we have a choice. And that's why I think Paul wrote this when he said, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind and your heart. You know, what do you do? That's why Paul later on said um, in one of his letters that, again, the thought comes in your mind can't help it. But we all have a split second to decide. We, ha we can choose whether we're going to let it make a nest in our hair, whether we're going to just take that thought and run with it, and then maybe tell someone else about it, and all this kind of thing, and there it goes. Or you can say, like Paul said, you take that thought, and you, you know it's wrong, and you say, I'm taking that thought captive to the Lord Jesus. I am bringing it to him. And with your help, through the power of the Spirit, get it out of there so that thought is, is not going to turn out into an action. See, you're going you're gonna, to, um, this whole thing, since the, the trees in the garden, 
And from that moment on, because God said, I want you. I don't want your love and your obedience just because I'm going to push a button and you just mechanically just do it. I don't want your love and your worship and your praise and your adoration and your obedience because you just want to do that because you know me. You've got a choice. I've got a choice all the time. If you, if you want a heading, I think, for these last, these chapters, it is that word choice. We are constantly choosing, all the time. Am I going to do it my way that I really want to do, or am I going to do it God's way? And, you know, it's always before us. So, he said, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind, because then that will enter your heart, and this is what the Lord sees. Proverbs 23, 26, my son or daughter, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. Give me your heart. Give me your heart. And then your, your spiritual eyes and ears will be so different. You'll want what I want for you. And then Psalm 51.10. You know the story, you know, when, when King David woke up one morning and said, oh, it's springtime, I know it's wartime, I just don't feel like it. I'll send the boys, I'll send the, the whole army, but uh, who's going to tell me not to go? So I just don't feel like it, so I'm not. And he was supposed to go. I mean, his place was there, so he's in the wrong place. And so he's walking around, and, oh, he looks out of the window. Never saw her before, and you know the story. Wrong place, wrong time. And that just, it just exploded from there. That's sin for you. You don't nip it. You don't take that thought and make it captive to the Lord Jesus. You decide you're going to call the shots of your day. You better expect the consequences. In fact, he's so far gone into this story that when, when, when all of a sudden he finds out that Bathsheba is going to have a baby, oh, and then he thinks, oh, let's see how I can work this out. I'll get Uriah to come home from war and, well, you know, how that will go. And then everybody will think that's his baby. Oh, he had it all worked out. He, he didn't know Uriah was such a good guy who loved the Lord so much, who wanted to be obedient to not only the Lord but to the king. So the only thing he could do was kill him, kill him off. See, it just, and you're going to see this with Cain too, it just starts with, hmm, let me think about that, hmm, and this whole emotion thing just exploded, just burst. In fact, he doesn't, he's so far gone, David, is that he doesn't even realize it. Until, until Nathan comes, and tells him this story, and, and he is appalled at this story. Oh, I'd see to it that he, you know. And Nathan said, you are the man. Oh, what an awakening. And then when he realized what he had done, he comes back with that Psalm 51, and that verse where he says, create in me a pure heart, oh God. 
Oh, renew a right spirit in me. He knows what he needed. He knows he needs a whole new heart create me. And then, and then like we sang tonight in, in that verse of scriptures, search me, oh God. You know my heart. And test me. Let me see what kind of heart I really have. Sometimes we have to give the Lord permission. If we really do want a pure heart, we have to make sure that, that we just give him permission. Search me and tell me what's not right. And sometimes we'd be surprised because we've been living with it so long that we don't even realize that we need, we need someone to tell us. And I hope that you have a friend or someone that loves you so much that is willing, willing to tell you. I mean, you know, there's such a difference between criticism and being, and being correcting, but I'm talking about correcting because the person loves you and wants the best for you. And when they've seen you veer off, just like the way God does, he does what he has to do sometime because we have veered off. And he, if he didn't love us so much, he'd just let us go. But instead, he will do And It isn't comfortable and, and happy. And sometimes it's one of the biggest sufferings there is. But he's saying, do you see? I'm trying to get you back where I need you to be. You veered off. And I just don't want you to keep going in that direction because it, it just gets uglier and, and worse and worse. Philippians 4, Paul writes this, and the peace of God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When you're at peace with your God, even in the, even in the worst of circumstances, you're still, you're still at peace with him because you believe, you trust that he is up to something through it all. And you trust that. And when you're at peace with him, controlling your life, and you've given him permission to do whatever needs to be done so you can, your heart can get purer and purer, then that peace of God will guard your heart and mind. And then the one that, that really got me was the, one of the Beatitudes when Jesus said, Bless, blessed are you. Blessed are those who, have, who are pure in heart. Because he knows it's not easy to stay pure of heart. It's not easy to work at that heart and, and keep it in the place that God wants it. His self is just so right there. But he said, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. He'll make it so worth our while. So just, just a, a few things that I just wanted to um, make sure that our heart's condition is pivotal in this story. So Cain is angry. His face is downcast. And the Lord says, why? You did it to yourself. You chose. You didn't have to do it that way, but you did. So then there's consequences. Look what he says in verse 7. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not, you choose not to do it the way I, I commanded. You think it's not important that you listen to me and obey. 
Sin is crouching at your door. You get that attitude of, I really don't care, and I, I want what I want. And, and when self reigns in your life, I'll tell you, he's saying, and this is quite a word picture, isn't it? Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. Sin desires to have you. And then take you, because, and, and then you know what Satan is doing? He's just tearing, because he knows that it's just going to take you farther and farther away from God. Sin desires to have you. But did you notice what God said? I know, I understand human nature, and I know that sin is appeasing to the flesh, and it is something that, you know, it catches you off guard sometime, and, and you just want it now, and, and he understands. So he said, sin desires to have you, but you must master it. You've got a choice. Well, how do you master sin? Well, already, we already said you take that thought and make it captive, or, or you come to him and you ask for help. You, you believe the verse that said no temptation is too great if you go to the Lord because you have been given this gift of God's spirit that is far more powerful than Satan, but you have to choose to activate him. When you try to fight Satan in your own strength and power, no, you're going down, but, but you must master it with what you know and what has been promised and given to you. It's your choice, Cain. I know sin looks great right now. It looks so, you know, you get your way and all that. But there's consequences. You've got to master this sin. I mean, God hates sin. And, you know, Jesus paid a big price for our sin. And I know we'll continue to sin, but... The, those kinds of sin, sins that we're, we just do, and we know it's a sin, but we just keep doing it. <sighs> I think we've got to take a look at how much do we really love the Lord when we know how much he hates sin and how much it hurts him. I don't think we think about that enough. You must make a choice. I've given you every tool that you need to master sin. Now it's up to you. And then, did you notice, between verses 7 and 8, there's, there's quite a big white space. I call it white space. Because God had just talked to Cain, gave, asked him those questions to think about, why are you angry? You did it to yourself. And, and, and then he warned him, sin is crouching at your door, and it wants you bad, and you have to master it. He gave a lot of food for thought there. He gave Cain a lot to think about, and in that white space there, that was the time that Cain had to make a choice. Okay, am I going to listen to God? Am I, gonna, am I going to, you know, stop this pouting and, and all of this anger right now? Am I going to realize that my heart hasn't been right and I cared more about myself than I did God? I tried to camouflage it with, with the outer exterior. He 
came to, you know, he's got white space there to come to his senses, to listen to God. Or, or he can just do what he wants and do it. And that's exactly what he did. In that white space, he chose to listen to himself instead of listening to God. And now Cain said to his brother, you know what he did in that white space? He sat there thinking, yeah, let's see, how can I work it that Abel comes to this field? I mean, in that white space, instead of doing what was right and letting God change his life and change his heart and change the whole whole direction of his life, could have had it right there. Could have made that choice in that white space there, but instead he is premeditating on how he can get rid of Abel. So he's figured out something, and he lured him, and let's, let's go out to the field. <laughs> maybe, maybe he says something like, oh, Abel, I have got, oh, did I grow the best pumpkin you've ever seen. I mean, you, you know, I don't mean to be silly, but, you know, they, the brothers know each other. They know, and he could lure them to that field to show them, say, oh, I just got to show you. And brother being brother, he probably, yeah, I'd like to see what happened. And look at there. Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. To see what happened. Started it with a thought. Do you know? Let's see, what kind of offering should I give the Lord? You know, oh, I'll give him the you know, I'll give him some really good, but but boy, will I will I ever get good credit for that? And I will get some points. You know, his, his giving was self-motivated. It was for him alone. And God wanted to change that heart so bad. But because he made the wrong choices, this sin that started with the thought and then, then got angry. And, and then he started, the more he thought about Abel, the more he, the, he got bitter toward him. Oh, he's just the favorite. And then that bitterness turned to hatred. And then the hatred turned to killing. And, you know, we, we don't literally kill. I mean, we wouldn't follow that, and I know we wouldn't. But yet, don't underestimate. This is how relationships take a dive. This is how people, when they don't speak to each other anymore, they kill that relationship because they let the thought turn into anger and then anger turned into bitterness and bitterness turned into hatred and hatred just, it just exploded. And now look what we have here. Boy, verse 9, didn't take long, did it? For then the, then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? Where is your brother? Here's that, another question. It doesn't take much to figure out. We talked about this last week when God said, where are you? You know what God wanted. He wanted those two, (laughs) he wanted them to jump from behind that tree and say, we're here, but we're so ashamed. We did not listen. We sinned against you. 
Remember, we talked about that. That's what God wanted. And the same thing is here. God wanted, right with that question, he was given Cain a chance. Where is your brother? Right then, wouldn't it have been so wonderful if, if even though it, it already has gone so far, but yet there isn't a sin that God won't forgive. And he had a chance to come clean and say, I can't believe what I did. My anger, my emotion got way, way above what it was supposed to. And I wasn't even thinking clearly. And I took my brother's life. And I am so sorry. You know what? God could have done something with that. But here again, same kind of the, in that little white space, Cain was making a choice. Instead of coming clean, a, Cain said, I don't know, I can just see this smart aleck with a smart mouth. I don't know. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Can't you just hear him? That wasn't the right answer. And that wasn't what God wanted, sadly. Yeah, I mean, and the Lord said, what have you done? What have you done? Now you got to listen. Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. Can you imagine saying that to a farmer? I mean, we thought it was bad, and you know, it was bad last week when, when all of a sudden um, Adam's working in the ground changed from being delightful and a wonderful experience and just sweating his head off, working with thorns and and thistles and probably rocks and all that. I mean, he was still going to be able to grow food, but it was going to take, it was going to take some effort. Now, you're saying this to a farmer. You are not going to be able to grow one blade of wheat again. You are not going to grow anything again. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Again, an opportunity in that little bit of white space to say, I got it coming. I got it coming. But instead, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. I'm sure he doesn't know all his relatives, but they're all related, you know. But he's talking about whoever, you know. I'm sure they get more, you know, distant and distant. So they're going to kill me. They're, they're going to eventually hear the story. And they're going to kill me for what I've done. But, you know, just such a chance for him. But no, he's so consumed. No remorse, no repentance. All he cares about is himself. And the punishment is so, so harsh. And all God was trying to do is get his attention and show him that I don't put up with sin and I warned you that, there, that sin was crouching at the door and you have a choice to master it and you chose not to. So 
But God, in his graciousness and mercy and 15, but the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Now this, to me, in verse 16, is the saddest part. He made his choice. And then look, so Cain went out of the Lord's presence. I don't think we realize how dark and how devastating that little phrase is. It all has to do with his choices. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain laid with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Did you notice that, that there were two Enochs in this lesson and two Lamechs? There was two, and, and it seemed, there was, you know, there was um, one Enoch in each line, and there was one Lamech in each line. So I just didn't want you to get confused. Apparently, there weren't that many names to choose from back then. I don't know, just, just like we have duplication of names. So, but anyway, just know that there are two. So Cain then was building a city. And he named it after his son Enoch. And to Enoch was born Arad. And Arad was the father of Mahujael. And Mahujael was the father of Methusael. I don't know how to say that. And Methusael was the father of Lamech. See, look how quickly all of a sudden you're having this and this kid and this kid's going to have this kid. But see how time is moving. And, but look at this. Look, at Lamech married two women. Now, right away, you know, he's out of sync. He hasn't changed one bit. And that one question in, in, your, in your lesson, when I asked you, and actually the Lord gave me that question because I think it is a big one. How, how important is our influence on the next generation? You know, that is, I mean, I'm sure that many of you wrote, oh, it's a lot, or whatever, or yes, it, it, it's really important, and you could do it in a half a second. But that was the kind of question that I was hoping you would stop and think about. Because our influence on the next generation is so critical, and I just do not want to be guilty of what, in the book of Judges, chapter 2, after Joshua died, the very next generation, the very next generation never even heard about Moses and never even heard the story about the Red Sea. Now, how do you not put your kids to bed at night with a bedtime story without telling them about the Red Sea? But apparently, they didn't because the very next generation never heard. They didn't know anything about it. I think the older I get, even though my kids are nearing 50 years old, I'm still their mother. And I still have an influence over them because I'm older than they are. The job is never done in our influencing. My answer to that question, because I do the questions just like you are, and I answer that question, the older I get, I can't even put it into words, the importance. Oh, that is the greatest um, motivator for me 
and keeping my heart pure is because I know I am influencing the next generation. So here we got Lamech married two women, one named Adah and the other Zillah, and Adah gave birth to Jabal, and he was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all who play the harp and the flute. And there's Zillah, who had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. What a talented family. You know, they're, they're all gifted. It's just unfortunate that their hearts weren't God-centered. They were self-centered. And look at the kind of influence Lamech had. Look, at it's like he sat his wives down, and I can just about hear him, Adah and Zillah. It's like he called them by their names, and he said, listen to me. <laughs> listen, women. Listen, women. Hear my words. I want you to know I have killed a man for wounding me and a young man for injuring me. So you better stay in your place because I mean, I'm tough. Now, I added that, of course I did. But, I, you know, I think that just the way he was, he was making sure they knew, you better not step out of line, women. Because I, I take care of people that have wronged me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. I mean, what a sweetheart, huh? And he started, I mean, he, you wonder why we had the flood next week's lesson. I mean, it's very obvious that, you know, the, the, this kind of influence and these kind of children, and they're creating a whole different kind of world. Now, verse 25, Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son named him Seth saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel. Since Cain killed him, Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. I was kind of surprised to, to read that, and especially when I read it every day, and I thought, you know, at that, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord, and and. I was kind of thinking that through. I thought, you know, it's really true. Sometimes people who know the Lord, we can all get kind of lax and almost lazy because, you know, we have our salvation secure and, you know, we're doing fine. And, and we just kind of get spiritually lazy. And you kind of forget how, how God is very, very... Um, concerned about sin and his principles haven't changed, his terms haven't changed, and he will deal with sin. And, you know, we need lessons like this to kind of wake us up out of our, out of our dull and realize that, you know, he does mean business and he does expect us to trust and obey and he does have commands and, and instructions. Verse 
And we can't shirk that off. And I think with all of this, at that time, men began to call in the name of the Lord. Sometimes we all need a wake-up call. Maybe it was the first revival. I don't know. It's just kind of, we need wake-up calls to make sure we realize we serve an almighty God who doesn't change, and his word doesn't either. Okay, now this is the written account of Adam's line. And this is the first time this week, too, that I thought, you know, Genesis 1, there were no witnesses to that, the Trinity, the Trinity was present, of course, but there were really no witnesses. So God had to reveal in, in this wonderful revelation, whoever it was, whether it was to, be, to Adam or to Moses, God had to tell somebody how he created day one, day two, day three. But once we start the account of Adam's line, now we know that you know, Adam will now tell the story and the story will continue. So this is the written account of Adam's line. <coughs> Excuse me. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created him male and female and blessed them and when they were created, he called them man. I kind of smirked when I thought, no wonder in our day and age where people don't, you really like the Bible anyway, how they want to just ditch this. Because even though it just makes so much sense that God said he created a male and female, but he called the whole man, you know, like mankind. What's so hard? But you know, you got some of these women. It's a T. He didn't care about women. It's just the man that's important to him, you know? It's, it's just so sad how that gets so misunderstood. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness and in his own image. Did you notice it wasn't, say, God's image? It said Seth was born in Adam's own likeness and Adam's own image, and he named him Seth. Could it be? Could it be that Adam has really learned what he did in the garden and what a mistake that was and how that did change everything? And he now is labeled sinner, a sinner that needs to be saved by grace. He needs to be saved by God. So when he conceived and when, when his child was conceived and born, it was in his image. Seth was a sinner too. But I don't know whether Adam started teaching his children differently or what, but you can about imagine that he really made sure Seth understood and God could see their heart. He could see Seth's heart, and Jesus came through the line of Seth. And after Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. 
Anybody try to even think about living 930 years? And then when Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived 912 years, and then he died. Did you notice the more you read this chapter, did you notice there was a phrase that kept coming off? It just kept coming at you all the time. Because really, there was about three, four paragraphs that other than changing the names and maybe the years, it was saying the same thing over and over. But it ended the same way too. And what a point. What a point this chapter makes sure we see. You can live almost a thousand years, but as God said, you disobey me, you're going to die. Now, when Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. And after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 850 years and had other sons and daughters altogether. Enosh lived 905 years, and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. And after he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters altogether. Kenan lived 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived... 65 years, he became the father of Jared, and after he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years, had other sons and daughters altogether. Mahalalel lived 895 years, and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch, and after he had become the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years, had other sons and daughters altogether. Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. I think we get it. I think that when God said, and if you eat from that tree, you will surely die. I don't care how long you live, you're going to die. Adam, remember, from dust you came, and from dust you will return. I told you about this quote that I found, and it's about this mathematician who figured this out. It's estimated, according to this mathematician, it's estimated that if Adam, during his lifetime, saw only half the children he could have fathered grow up, if he saw even half the children that he fathered grow up, and if only half of those got married, and if only half of those who got married had children, then even at these conservative rates, Adam would have seen more than a million of his own descendants using this calculation. So before Adam died, he was looking around and he could see a million people. Isn't that amazing? That's from compounding and all that. And then he went on and said, by the time, by the time of the flood... And following the calculations of chapter 5, there could have been 7 billion people on this earth. So there you have it. Does God know how to populate? He knew how to get people on this earth. But when they're living 900 some years and 
So like I said at the beginning, I said, you know, four and five, really, there's a lot of years covered in that time span. And they were all saying the same thing until Jared had a son named Enoch. And there is a phrase. It, it says all pretty much the same, except there is a phrase in there that we cannot miss. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. What in the world? He walked with God for 300 years that phrase, he walked with God for 300 years. I couldn't help but, what does that mean, walk with God? What does that, what does that mean that, that, that he walked? What does that mean for you and I, that we walk with God? There is, a, there is a fellowship. I mean, when you're walking, let's say you're taking a walk and you're walking with someone. I mean, it's very obvious that they're walking with you. I mean, even if you aren't talking and you're just walking, you just know somebody is walking by you. In fact, you might even brush against them now and then. I mean, it's, it, you know their presence is there. And really, walking with God is the same. You don't have to physically see him, but you know you're walking with him because you have a fellowship, you have a friendship, you've got a relationship, you've got a closeness, you've got a love for him. You know that he is there. And we don't want to miss that. Enoch walked. Something happened to Enoch after he, after he had Methuselah. Something, something happened that he wanted not only a pure heart, but he wanted to walk with God. He wanted to take the time. He, he wanted to walk with him the rest of his life, and he did for 300 years. And when you, when you walk with the same person, it's so easy to maybe think, well, you know, they're getting a little boring. We're running out of things to say. Um, I maybe need a new partner. I need something. I need a new walking partner. But with God, that's, that's just really ridiculous talk. Because look what happened to Enoch. Said he walked with God for 300 years. Yep, he had other sons and daughters and all together. Enoch lived 365 years. He didn't have that long a life. He lived 365 years. He walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Can you imagine? He walked with God right to the point that God walked him right into glory. But you know what? That's the same thing with us. If we walk with God and we don't get bored with him and we keep that relationship that, that he so desperately wants with us and we work on our heart, that our heart stays pure so that we do have that fellowship with him, he, will, he promises that he will, walk, he will walk with us, never leave, and he will walk us someday right into glory. Now, I know these earthly bodies, yeah, that will die off. But, but our soul, he will take, and he will walk us right into glory. Doesn't that just change how you think about dying? You won't. Your, your middle name is Enoch. And you walk with God, he's going to walk you and I right into glory. How precious. How full of hope 
this is. Even in the middle of this chapter, that sometimes you think, what good is it? Oh, it was so good. Methuselah. Methuselah lived 187 years, and then he became the father of Lamech. And after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters altogether. Methuselah lived 969 years, and then he died. So here's the oldest man that ever lived. But guess what? He died. He had to die too. But, but you know, as you can see, he had a son named Lamech. And Lamech had a son named Noah. Now, it wasn't coincidence that God had Methuselah live that long as they're edging closer and closer to, to God's plan about the flood. I mean, God is watching that people are getting more wicked by the day. And, and you, you think about Methuselah, he lived 969 years. What a lifespan. What, what you can't do in your lifespan. You know, we talked about, you know, from a perfect world to a perfect world, and we're in the middle of this, and we're hanging on for dear life, knowing and living the promise someday of what, what we are going to be a part of. But our lifespan is in the middle of this. And what are we doing with our lifespan? God knew the flood. He was going to destroy this world with a flood because it was so wicked. Well, we know what's going to happen too. We know what's going to happen when he draws this world to a close. What are we doing with our lifespan? Are we making a difference? We have just so many years. We don't, none of us know how many exactly, but what are we doing with it? Because time is running out. And even though, yes, they saw judgment right then in the Old Testament, we know that there will be a judgment where every sin will be paid for, either at the cross or at the judgment. That's why I want, during our lifespan here, we can make that choice. Where do I want to have my sins dealt with, at the cross or at the judgment, and if it's at the judgment, it's too late. So this lifespan that we've got, we've got to make the most of it. Now, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He had a son, and he named him Noah. Now, there must have been something about Noah right from the start. Because look what, look what Noah's dad said about him. He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. It's like maybe there was just something really that Noah just loved the Lord God right, right away when he heard the message or whatever and he started his lifespan already believing because it said he will comfort us in the labor. There was something spiritually strong about Noah that even during hard times, they could count on Noah to be there, to comfort them, to probably lead them back to the right place. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters all together. Lamech lived 70, 777 years and then he died. 
And this story ends, or this lesson ends with, after Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And when you think of that many people on the earth, look how evil can just permeate the only, the only man righteous on the earth at that time was Noah and his three sons and their wives, and we will get into that next week. But there are so many lessons in here out there that we can take personally and make this old-time story very relevant to our lives today. Heavenly Father, you did it again. You always come through and take in these lessons and show us ourself. It's like your word is a mirror. And sometimes we just need to really be honest and you're asking us a question. You're asking us a question sometime. Where are you? Or why are you so downcast? Why are you so mad? Help us to take our white spaces and realize that we can either hear from you or we can take our white space and just plan our next selfish move. So, Father, we just, we just are so grateful that you love us so much that you will use whatever. You've given us every tool that's necessary that we can have a pure heart. Sin wants to... Wants wants to get us, but we must master it with the tools you've given us. We have to make the right choice because our heart steers our lives and we don't want to be fake and phony. We can be that way to people for a little while, but you know, and that should matter to us. It should matter to us that you can see our heart, that it's worth the time working at our heart. Father, we just love you tonight, and may our lives prove how much we do. May we take it in. May it go into good soil so that outcomes, outcomes the kind of life that you want us to have during our lifespan to be a light for you. If Jesus really is the answer to our world, to everybody, and Father, help us to let this light so shine before men. And we pray this all in our Savior's name, who made life so worthwhile. Amen.